Are you thinking about getting into Dungeons & Dragons? Maybe you're looking to expand your horizons as a DM or a player. If that's the case, then it's time for you to check out The Dungeon Cast, the best D&D podcast out there that helps you passively learn all about the game just by listening. Join co-hosts Will and Brian as they break down the lore of a rich multiverse 50 years in the making in a lighthearted and beginner-friendly way. They cover everything from character creation options to tips for dungeon masters. There's something for everyone, no matter how long you've been playing TTRPGs. Find The Dungeon Cast anywhere you get podcasts or on YouTube. I'm diking out, you're diking out. Let's dike out together. See what it's all about. Diking out, diking out, diking out, diking out. And that's our theme song. That's like the, <laughs> the gayest theme yeah. song. That was the direction <laughs> I gave. That was the creative direction was yeah. like... These are the lyrics. The only direction. Yeah. Said, these, these are the lyrics, and please make this sound very gay, sort of nineties. It is like like the bit. L word fan fiction. Yeah. yeah. Thank I, you. I would like to think that it's better than the L word theme song. It yeah. is. It is. No, That's I, the worst. I would theme say song. the worst theme song of all time, possibly in a show. I don't know if anybody like really a, enjoyed it. No. What I didn't like that theme song. Orange is the New Black. That one's, I think that one's awful too, actually. It's yeah. like five minutes long. Yeah. That, that's my problem with too, it. I length. like Regina Spector, but, but mm-hmm. that's too long. Hi, and welcome to Diking Out, a podcast where a couple of dykes dike out each week about stuff going on in the news and invite a special guest to dike out with us about a special topic. I'm Carolyn Bergier. And I'm Sarah York. And today we'll be diking out with stand up comedian and model. Oh, just Tom. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Was I not supposed to say model? Oh, no, I but just... But I see your face in public, so to me... Right. That's... I just think that's very generous of you. <laughs> ah. No, you're I, You're very... You've got model face. Yeah, Aw, thank you. Yeah, thank and, you. and you're very photogenic. I've seen pictures of Jess online... I mean, I, I guess on a podcast, you don't really know. <laughs> I know, that's, that's why we case. have to describe it. I right. could look like anything. Um, and we can get into this later, but actually, um, because of, you know, white supremacist standards of beauty, I've spent most of my life literally looking at my face and going, I don't have model face. <laughs> yeah. Even until now. So to hear yeah. that from you, a white person, <laughs> I'm very, I'm like, aw, like, I've ma- I'm making it. <laughs> you know, it's... It's funny you mentioned that because I, I guess, didn't grow up I, having those white standards of beauty that mm-hmm. uh, the rest of society has. So I didn't understand how my friends who weren't white felt, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I couldn't understand their uh, image issues. So one of my best friends growing up was Korean, and I thought she was gorgeous. I thought she was one of the the prettiest people. She looks like a Korean Mandy Moore, mm-hmm. and uh, looks a lot like Mandy Moore. Yeah. And uh, I I would always be like, you should ask this guy out, and she'd be like, no, no, nobody wants to date a Korean girl. I'm like, what are you talking about? You're beautiful. And I thought these guys yeah. must be be idiots. And it wasn't until I was older I realized like how real that internalization yeah. of these white beauty standards are for for other people and I didn't kind of know that that was a thing that that you mm-hmm. grow up with and are conditioned with. I hope if you ever get to meet Mandy Moore, you tell her that she looks like a white version of your friend. Yeah. <laughs> You're a, I just hope to be Mandy a white Moore. Becky Shim. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's great. Actually, I think they did meet. Really? They yes, they met because she 
uh, Becky used to work for Christian Louboutin. Okay. Uh, in the meatpacking district. And it sounds like she was very pretty. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. <laughs> so a lot of celebrities would come in there. And before I moved to New York, I would love to hear about it. So I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, who came into the store? And she had to let me know when Mandy Moore came in because I was always convinced that they were twins right. pretty much. Um, besides the whole Korean thing. Uh, So our our topic for this week is uh, gender identity and roles, and we have a lot to talk about. But first, we're going to talk about some things going on in the news. And I promise we're not going to get sidetracked again with a discussion about Hillary Clinton and how attractive we find her. (laughs) Not that there's anything wrong with that, but uh, in editing last week's episode, it was 40 minutes before we got to the topic because we yeah, so some... thanks for hanging in, guys. Yeah, whoever, all four of you that finished our last episode. <laughs> uh, I I do want to say we we do have a lot of listeners. Um, in well, first, thanks for everyone who's been listening and downloading and subscribing to us on iTunes and uh, sending us love letters. Uh, nobody mm-hmm. has sent a, a real love letter yet, but <laughs> I just want to throw it out into the universe that uh, lesbians do need positive reinforcement, just like the rest of people. So mm-hmm. we would appreciate that. Uh, we have listeners in Japan, great, the UK, Germany, Peru, Canada, and all over the US, but not in Georgia, which means my ex isn't listening. <laughs> and I, I found that weird. I really thought that they would be listening to the podcast because they told me that at parties they like to play my stand-up clips on YouTube. Oh, God. How does that make you feel? Like, what's your initial reaction to that? Are they making fun of you? No. What sort of ex? Okay. Oh, man, I just got really nervous on your behalf. My ex is living in New York doing stand-up and she's really funny. Oh, Let's watch this. Okay. No, no. Okay, so it's a nice, Yeah, they meant it in a nice way. Okay, great. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I for sure thought that they would be listening to Decking wow. Out, but maybe didn't get around to it yet. Mm. So Georgia, okay. and, and I used to live in Georgia, so I feel we should yeah. have more Georgia listeners, none of my old coworkers. <laughs> are, We're doing really bad at reaching out to these people. Are listening, yeah. That's okay. Any from Missouri? There's got to be some from Missouri, I'm sure. Uh, yes, Missouri, okay. we do have a Nebraska contingency. Oh, that and would be my mother, I'm sure. Thanks to you. <laughs> no, there's... That's nice. I mean, yeah. we've had a good 25 downloads from Nebraska, really? I think. Yeah. Great. Yeah, representing. I love that. The Cornhuskers. The flyover states. Yeah. <laughs> we we need more of that uh, because one thing going on in the news is, and we won't spend too much time on this because I don't like talking about Republicans, mm-hmm. but the Alabama... Senate race that's going on uh, between Roy Moore and Luther Strange. Oh, so I don't know how much you guys know about this, but I it's, don't. This I just know that pretty obscure. Luther Strange <laughs> sounds like a literal comic book villain. Yes, and they call him Big Luther because he's six foot ten or something. Oh, yeah. Is he cool? I'm already Senate. rooting for him. Yeah. <laughs> so, I hope he's. If he's not cool, then well, he's Republican. You're be very disappointed. Oh, fine. Yep. But, there you go. But you might want to root for him over the other person who is just total garbage, terrible human. So what happened is Jeff Sessions is nominated to attorney general. So he fills his role with, I believe, uh, with Luther Strange, who I think was the state attorney general of of Alabama. So Mm -hmm. the same kind of path. 
to senators. So now they have to have a special election to see who's really going to fill the seat. So there are some Democrats running who probably won't win, though uh, I hope they will. Mm-hmm. And so Luther Strange has been uh, in the in the Senate but doesn't have the f- seat officially. Okay. So Donald Trump is campaigning for Luther Strange, which makes me not want Luther Strange on on the surface. (laughs) And Breitbart and all the other Mm -hmm. right-wing people are pulling for Roy Moore. Oh, okay. Why is that? Oh, I don't know, because he thinks homosexual activity should be illegal. Oh, no. Oh, well, that's funny coming from someone whose name sounds like a gay porn star. Yeah. Roy Moore? Yeah. (laughs) Roy Moore and Luther Strange. It's the matchup of the year. Yeah, It does. It sounds like it would be like a tweet with both of them. I did see a lot of jokes about... Donald Trump going to Alabama for some strange. (laughs) He went there to to campaign for him. So compared to this person who doesn't believe in evolution and (laughs) thinks that gay people are an abomination, uh, I I have said this before. I don't think that white men should be in Congress. I don't Mm -hmm. think men at all should be in Congress, but we can start with white men. And also uh, white men who are over the age of 65. Like at, at the retirement age, I'm like... You well, gotta retire. You gotta yeah, retire. You've retired you from to... like social relevance and decision making at yeah. that point. So yeah, it's just a, this old guard of. Oh, he's also very outwardly racist. I'm sure Luther Strange is uh, racist, but not as obvious. Isn't to, that? To yeah, I mean, that's people. kind of been like the like the starter pack for old crusty Republican. Is like yes. the racism is like a, a like you know it's there. Yes, that's it's an like essential a, part of it. The assumption is that they're going to show up. That's like a, wearing a pair of pants to Congress. Like they're we we know they're going to be wearing pants. We know they're racist. And then how racist are you on top mm-hmm. of that? And yeah. how not ashamed are you of your racism? Is kind of the the whipped cream on the, the yeah. racism Sunday. <laughs> so Roy Moore is known for being racist. Sarah Palin is campaigning for him oh no uh also what's his name oh sebastian gorka the white nationalist that was working in the trump administration Mm -hmm. also campaigning for this guy so it's kind of you know can does trump have enough pull to get luther in or are all the the nazis and white supremacists gonna declare victory in this one and if they do people think that maybe a democrat actually has a chance because this guy's so extreme but uh we'll see this was just a friendly reminder that people still hate gays yeah no kidding and you just can't we can't get sit back easy don't get comfortable just because we have marriage please do not get comfortable uh between trans rights and people who don't want to let us have cake at our wedding um ugh Bummer. And things still kind of – you know, Alabama is such a weird state. I remember Charles Barkley was running for – or said he might run for governor of Alabama. And he said, because things can't get any worse. Oh, God. Oh, my God. That was, <laughs> that was his campaign? That was his platform. Yeah. <laughs> was thing, things can't really get worse. They're, they're one of the last states in education, which maybe has something to do with why they like these terrible – Right. <laughs> Terrible people, but if you are one of our two listeners in Alabama, please vote Democrat. I know special elections aren't mm-hmm. a popular thing, but try to rally anyone you can uh, so that we don't have people who make a political career out of legislating against LGBTQIA yeah. community. 
And next story in the news. Oh, this one. Oh, well, okay. I'm going to have something positive. The Emmys were so gay. I know it was a week ago. And so we're not going to recap it totally. Um, I wish uh, I I was live tweeting the Emmys and I didn't realize how gay they were going to be. Jess, did you watch the Emmys? I don't uh, really what I'm picking up from all of this is that I don't know how the American government works and I don't know how mainstream <laughs> entertainment works um, for somebody who's an American working in entertainment. Um, clearly, I don't have my finger on the pulse. Um, I do know that there was a lot of there were a lot of really big wins in it, like in in addition and in tandem to being a really gay Emmys. Um, I mean, I know. What, what was like Lena Waithe mm-hmm. being the yep. first black woman to ever win uh, for comedy writing yes. um, with Donald Glover um, with uh, this is oh man I think Donald Glover won for he did, didn't you win twice did yeah. You yeah directing yeah, and directing. writing or yeah yeah, yeah. awesome um, and um, oh crap this is the worst one for me to not remember the name of the person but um, <laughs> the first first Asian actor to ever win Riz Ahmed. Yeah, of course. Riz Ahmed. You're Riz Ahmed. Ahmed. Yeah, for um, uh, the night of that HBO HBO like miniseries. Yes, which was really good. You killed it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> I'm a disappointment. Kate McKinnon won. Lena Waithe with her speech was awesome. Oh, that was amazing. Uh, Sarah Paulson presented in uh, an outfit that I would describe as if a. Uh, if they were doing a production of Cinderella in Outer Space and she was the <laughs> stepmom, that might yeah. be the costume. Um, but that's okay. RuPaul played the personification of of an Emmy Award in, in a little bit. They had a Billy Eichner uh, bit cam- cameo. Uh, and then... It's quite gay. San, San Junipero uh, won, which is the Black Mirror lesbian episode, yeah. which I... Didn't know existed. Uh, shame on me. But then I watched it last night so that I could keep my lesbian cred. Mm-hmm. And it is a fun, fun little sci-fi lesbian. There's not enough lesbian sci-fi. No, there's not. No. And you would think there'd be so much more. Yeah, because I would think in the future everyone would have figured it out. Right. Yes. That this is the I mean, way to I think live. in like the next 20 years they're going to figure it out. <laughs> I mean, once, once uh, we can start doing lab reproduction, just like... Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> You know, just as like a regular practice, just yeah. <laughs> uh, just for fun. Right. You know? um, I definitely think that that's the direction that we're yeah, going to be going Yeah, if we can in. start reproducing without men, then we'll just phase them out and it'll be fine. Well, I, I think if, if all the men were to were to disappear and then we have all the, the sperm that exists mm-hmm. in the world and then we could then raise kids who are born male and female but raise them without these constructs without, yeah exactly <laughs> i mean also uh, realistically speaking uh considering like trans women and amab like non-binary and uh genderqueer people we could we could really like just phase out like cis men yeah yeah or <laughs> men and still actually have like a lot of ways to reproduce yeah um, yes. yeah and yeah, I think that that would I think that would be all right if everybody was down with that. Yeah, yeah. I think we can convince enough people. I think I don't think anyone besides cis men are really standing up. 
oh. for cis men and being but we're like, not asking straight, them. So. Oh, true. Straight, straight women. White women. Oh, God. Straight white women. Oh, I'm not asking them anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I'm no longer asking them for anything. Right. Ugh. They've proven they've right. proven their worth, and I, it's just not working out. <laughs> between the 53% who voted for Donald Trump and the I don't know how large percent who didn't vote at all. Yeah. No. I think I think uh, we're I think leaving I'm you behind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, that's um, great. Okay, now back to depressing news. <laughs> this, this one happened over a, a week ago, but the the news I don't know if it came out until after we last recorded. I don't know how I didn't hear of it, uh, but I was very sad to learn that Michelle Rounds, uh, Rosie O'Donnell's ex wife, killed herself. What? Yeah. I didn't know that. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh, I how did I not know that at all? That's such a bummer. Yeah. Is it, she the one that they that she has children with? Or? She has she has one daughter with. So Kelly Carpenter was first and they, yeah. they adopted a bunch of kids together. And then she was with Michelle Rounds and then they uh adopted one kid, Dakota, who I believe has autism. Yeah. Um, that Rosie posted and, and talks a lot about. So it's it's very it's very sad and uh, just a reminder that mental health is a very yeah. very critical and important thing and uh, and it sucks my my heart goes out to to Rosie O'Donnell who is probably having one of the most trying mm-hmm. years of her life uh, between I mean obviously I don't know her personally uh, even though last episode we talked about how I met her and I'm also going to mention. I, I've met her too. Jess has performed with her. Yeah. What? Yes, yeah. which is Rosie's cool. She's really cool. Next level. I've she been, is. I've been feeling for her too. Um, I mean, not that I know her either. Um, no, but, but the, between between having a president who, like, the president of the United States has personally attacked you and called you a pig and disparaged you based on right. your looks and who you are. So, yeah. so that plays with you. She's also having troubles with her her daughter. Uh, I did read about that how she had disappeared briefly and yeah. went missing, and then and and now apparently is pregnant and oh, uh, wow. some uh, yeah some straight dude cis straight dude uh, who I think. Is does drugs and and mm-hmm. things like that uh, has seemingly I don't know sounds like maybe some some brainwashing yeah whatever and kind of has turned uh, Chelsea against Rosie and that's very very hard to go through and then on top of that then to have you know your your ex yeah pass away like that and and her M- Michelle Rounds had actually remarried and had another kid uh, so wow. th- this whole thing is. A lot of kids involved that are is going very through it right sad. now. Yeah. So mental health is such an yes. important thing, and with all the healthcare discussions going on, uh, you know there is a candidate for mayor, and uh, what's his name? His last name's Tolkien. He's running against De Blasio as a mm-hmm. uh, as an independent. <laughs> another another guy. I'm immediately on the side of. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that that's the only way I can remember it is that that's his last name. Uh, he actually has some very progressive ideas. One is for New York City to have a universal mental health care. Okay, which I think would be huge mm-hmm. and would be such an important thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a lot of interesting plans. One of my favorites is uh, doing away with the horses in Central Park, but replacing them with robots. Yes. Oh God, robotic horses. I don't know. If I love that or hate it. Yeah. I kind of love, I love the idea, the idea of, of doing robot horses. horses. 
the robot horse is great, but like I, if we could get rid of the actual horse, yeah. Oh thing, no, I'm I'm down for that. I'm yeah. yeah I, I, I totally I'm don't think that those horses should yeah. stand out there anymore. No, yeah. it's 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 not great, but I definitely would overpay to have yeah, a robot, robot horse horses. pull me through Central Park. <laughs> Only if they do little, like, robot poops, too. Like, I want the whole experience. Just, like, little sparks Just and little, like, something falls out. out of their butt every 20 minutes. Uh, it can be, like, those little prizes. You lift off the lid, and there's, like, a little toy inside. It's, but, like, the kids would like it. It'd be great. I don't know why. I was like, I, I, think I, I wish it was to be serious public funding for this. <laughs> I wish it pooped out hamburgers, and it was, like, this is really weird. It poops Sounds out, like, like something soft they... serve ice cream into yeah. a cone. That'd be fine. There's a lot of possibilities here. I feel like that's something that would happen in Japan before it does in, in yeah. New York City. Yeah, yeah. they've and it's had gonna be that really for cool 20 there. years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was say it's probably like lame there now. Like, oh, that. Ugh. Yeah, they, we've had that so long. I mean, they, it's like not cool anymore. They have robots serving food. Yeah. We so can do this, they just a poop out soft serve. They come right up to your yeah. table and they just poop and it just right like out, and it, it comes yeah. out. I love it. I think there's a market for it. Getting rid of the horses is a big thing. I've always said, like, that's the one That's one thing specific to New York City. Well, I mean, other cities do it, of course, but that really I could get behind almost any Democratic politician that wants to. Didn't Bill de Blasio try? Or was he for it? He tried. No, no he, he is against the, the horses and it's something that he wanted to do away with, but I guess the politics of it, he's only been somewhat successful. I yeah. think they've cut back on a lot of them, and I think there are a lot more laws to protect the horses and yeah. restrictions, but uh, there's still but some people still who are very... all day pulling a carriage full of, like, fat tourists from where I'm from around, and I'm just <laughs> over it. Like, I get so... It's so hot in the summertime, and these poor horses, and they always have, like, flies in their eyes, and they're just like... There's just no way that this is okay. And I well, can't imagine only... being a person who's like, you know what, I want to I want to sit in a fucking carriage and I want this poor animal to drag me through the park. It doesn't make any sense. It's that and then horses are are animals that are easily spooked and they yeah. also they can get anxiety. Animals yeah. can be very anxious and when you have traffic and by I have ang- anxiety yeah. just walking around New York City. Now I can't imagine having to pull people behind me yeah. while and to not things be able to speeding. verbalize any yeah. of your concerns. <laughs> yeah, and not being able to go anywhere. That's yeah. terrifying. Anyway, um, well. So, I don't know. A lot of people think that uh, not, I mean, I appreciate Bill de Blasio and, mm-hmm. and trying, but uh, I, I think there's a lot more work to do in New York. Yeah. And it might be worth listening to different ideas. I don't yeah. know. Look, in, look into the race. Go vote. Don't just yeah. hand it over to, to incumbents. I think right. you should challenge people. Even though uh, Bill de Blasio, I did support him in the primaries the first time he ran, uh, mostly because he's married to a has-been. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, is he? Yeah. Is that it? A- I didn't know that. She was a lesbian. Will you explain supporting a man for that reason? <laughs> I think because, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I think because I was like, oh, he's he's secure enough mm-hmm. yeah. that he can be with somebody who I think maybe still identify. I don't think she identifies as, as straight or anything. Okay, that's cool. Uh, I think it was that she's was a lesbian most of her life and then uh you know fell in love with with Bill de Blasio and, <laughs> and his so, charm yeah. his endless with charm of Bill. Bill de Blasio yeah uh, and i was like i don't know maybe he's i think it's healthy for men to always be on notice that like 
any minute, a woman will take her away from you. Like, that's just, that's okay <laughs> to me. I like that. Yeah, I I guess. And to be, like, okay with it, which apparently he is. He just doesn't seem like the type that was like, oh, I bet I could change you. No, I don't think that was it. I think she yeah. made the decision. Yeah. And she was like, but just so you know, I'm but still just, a But just, that's a good call out. I guess, yeah. I guess very... women have agency. I guess <laughs> I they suppose, have their own yeah. opinions. I guess bisexual people exist. Right, blah, right. All right. <laughs> uh, um, no, but good for her. But, yeah. um... <laughs> But if she wants to come back, oh, I mean, we're always yeah to to the force and, and leave taking, the dark side. We're always we renewing memberships. It's yeah, fine. yeah, <laughs> I'll give you a discount. It's like being a Girl Scout. Once you're in, you're in for life. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, and then the the last thing we want to talk about this week that will transition us into our topic mm-hmm. of gender is uh, the movie. Battle of the Sexes premiered, and that's a film that's based on Billie Jean King's 1973 tennis match against Bobby Riggs, who is a horrible person. And it's actually really hard to listen to uh, clips from that time. Mm-hmm. So know, I've met her, too. What? what? I mean, When well, did you meet Billie Jean King? She lives I, in New York. I actually don't know that I met her, met her, but she was she performed on the same show that I did with Rosie O'Donnell. Wow. wow. This is amazing. What a great show. She performed is she does she do comedy? Like what was her Um It was so to contextualize, it was um It's a, prop comedy with tennis rackets. Yeah. She's actually <laughs> hilarious. Um she's very funny. Um I don't know that she was necessarily there to do comedy then that she was there to be a famous old lesbian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um but uh there are so few of them. I right right so so few old old lesbians um but um it was a uh fundraiser show for a lesbian super pack which is a thing that exists Oh my um, gosh take that, all my money which is I didn't a know. thing that I need a t-shirt for immediately <laughs> I thought it was a little bit dystopian yeah. <laughs> um at the time and it it was kind of funny because it was I mean so it was a fundraiser show for a lesbian super pack for the Hillary campaign which for me at the time was kind of funny because, like, I didn't really... I mean, obviously, I voted for Hillary, like, mm-hmm. when the time came for it. But I wasn't... And I'm still, I, like, pretty critical of her as a politician and mm-hmm. for, like, some of the stuff that she's done and some of the stuff that she stands for and some of the stuff her campaign was doing I didn't really like. But obviously, they were like, can you do this thing? And I was like, yeah, of course, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that everything is happening, now that Trump got elected and everything is happening, I'm like, oh, I really did my best. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, I really tried. <laughs> I really tried to get her elected. But it was um, sort of funny and complicated. And like afterwards, um, you know, uh, well, it, uh, yeah, um, afterwards, um, I like ran into a bunch of like young queer Asian people actually who had been there at the show that I wasn't expecting to see because I was expecting it to be like all rich white lesbians mm-hmm. which it mostly was yeah um and uh we all like quietly came out to each other as like people who had voted for Bernie during the primary <laughs> yeah. and we were like sorry yeah <laughs> sorry like are you okay are we all okay like she they played it was kind of wild I mean it was a really cool event it was a really really great night and I'm very grateful um to have gotten to be a part of it um but it was interesting for me as somebody who is like – who at least considers himself to be politically left of the left. Uh-huh. Um, like 
they like showed this huge they played a video that Hillary had made for this event. Okay. Um like huge on a screen. Was it her making out with Huma? <laughs> <laughs> that would have Which been we are a theory we're very invested in here at Diking Out Podcast. <laughs> I think that that would have been stronger branding for this event. Yeah. <laughs> I wish. I think that that really I mean I mean, everybody who was there was convinced, Talk I'm pretty sure, but, um, <laughs> but that was, like, what everybody wanted to see. But we did settle for uh, just her giant talking head. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was sort of the way that it—they didn't mean for it to be this way, but the way that it played out was kind of Hunger games mm, Yeah, Like, it I was, like, that. the giant head of a politician being like, hello, everyone. Yeah. And everyone was like, ah! Yeah, I was like, I don't know, man. She filmed this like two weeks ago. She's not like live yeah. on camera right now. And everyone yeah. was like, oh, my God. Hi, Hillary. And it was, <laughs> it was like kind of crazy. Um, but it was a cool event. And that is how I have encountered such big name lesbians. Such as, daikons. Yes. Oh, yes. oh my daikons. God. That's a great word. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, as, as Rosie O'Donnell and funnily enough, Billie Jean King. Yeah, that's great. So, so Billie Jean King, I did have to say I didn't know too too much about until somewhat recently. I mean, I knew that she played tennis and that she won a bunch of Wimbledon mm-hmm. titles and mm-hmm. that she was a lesbian. A cool thing about this movie is that because she's still alive, uh, a lot of the press for this movie is Billie Jean King doing interviews and not Emma Stone talking great. about Oh, me. that's cool. Yeah. I, I think they're probably still sending Emma Stone around, but most of the press I've seen has actually been talking to Billie Jean King about the, the making of this movie and this time in her life mm-hmm. and how she's really just been uh, an activist for equality uh, her whole career and then also for, for lesbian rights because when she came out, uh, she was married to a man and then it got out that she uh, had had an affair because her ex sued her for money. Really? Mm-hmm. So her, ex, her ex-husband or her... No, no, no. Her, her The woman, uh, her assistant, who oh, she had had an okay. affair with. So if you think that your ex is... <laughs> It's terrible. How about one who outs you by suing you publicly? Uh, that sounds like and a lesbian is, breakup move, right? And is kind of trying to like extort you a little bit. Like, what would what would you possibly sue her for? I could so, see that, and then being like, "But but let's be friends." Though. Yeah, let's be, let's I stay friends because of our cats that we've adopted together. There's a turn. It's not. Um, it's not alimony, but uh, I think they call it palimony. Oh yeah. Uh, and these cases are are really hard to win, but it's yeah. if you do have a relationship where you financially depended on the other person, and then you you're no longer it. together, okay. uh, that maybe you can sue for money. But I, I don't think that um, that hmm. has ever been something that's been too successful in courts. But she lost all of her sponsors sponsorships mm-hmm. overnight. Oh my god! Um, so I'm glad that we like, only due to her coming out. Just That's because she's a lesbian, wow. so yeah. nobody wanted to be associated with a lesbian at that time. And uh, it's it's crazy, too, listening. So I didn't know about the Battle of the Sexes match where she goes up against uh, Bobby Riggs, who is this um, chauvinist Just, yeah. pig yeah. who makes comments. He was on Johnny Carson, and he said, oh, I, I love women. I love them in the bedroom. I love them in, in the kitchen. 
he said that he could beat any woman in tennis. Uh, when in the beginning of the match, the announcers talk about. Billie Jean King, uh, just in terms of her appearance, how mm. she could be a real looker if she just grew her hair out past her shoulders wow. and took off her glasses, mm. uh, which is also kind of a funny thing that both of them were playing in glasses. Like, that's a very 70s. Yeah. <laughs> it was very 70s playing sports move. with your, <laughs> like, your glasses big, on. Keep your big, bottle glasses on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but but she won, thank God. And mm. uh, I... I I don't know. Sound. I I want to see the movie, but just seeing the clips and and Steve Carell plays uh, Bobby Riggs, and he does a good job of it. But just hearing that kind of uh, sexist mm-hmm. language repeated over and over just makes me so angry. Yeah. I don't know if I could sit through and enjoy it. But I do like the attention that Billie Jean King is getting for all that she did. She started like a a women's tennis league. She really fought for equal pay mm-hmm. when she first did Wimbledon. The prize money uh, men were getting a. 11 to 12 times as much as the oh women God. were. Yeah, it was bad. Yep. No, Billie Jean King's really cool. I think really there's cool. still somewhat yeah. of a disparity in pro tennis with them. Is there? Or or is that kind of... I'm sure it's gotten closer to equal, but I know that... I know the U.S. Open is equal now. I I think they, they might they have it. Did they fix that in tennis? I don't know that they have in some other sports, but... I think they might have. I mean, I know if you look at like the NBA versus oh the my WNBA... God. The, that's, it's, it's not even... Yeah. The highest paid... WNBA athlete is, I think, a million dollars might be the annual salary. Oh, versus, I mean, we know what. I'm surprised like, it's that high, honestly. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's like the cream of the. That's the few that are making that much. Most yeah. of them are making. I think I saw a figure that was like forty five thousand dollars a year. Uh. Is like your is like the kind of the you know like the journeyman like the regular you know the players that aren't superstars essentially and then you can get up into like the the six figures mm-hmm. um but that's why the WNBA has a hard time with recruitment and with retaining players because these women are making a lot more money in in Europe mm-hmm. and uh, they're going over and playing for like Greece and Spain or they're playing in Asia or even Russia um oh what's her name Diana I should know her name. This is ridiculous that I can't think of it right now. But she's been one of the biggest names in the WNBA. But she basically just went and played for some European or Russian team or something for, like, millions. Because these, for some reason, I looked into this because it was like, I was like, why? how is it just a more popular sport over there? But basically, the people who own these teams in other countries are just kind of billionaires who like to own professional sports teams. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of their... They're a fun game amongst each other. These billionaires, they each own their own women's Yikes. basketball teams and kind of like, and just, I mean, it's not in like uh, a, it, but it's more of like, they just do it because they like to own a pro a sports franchise. So these women are making t- like a ton more money to compete in other countries. And they're not like playing in the U.S. for the WNBA is just a pure injury risk. Like that's all it is. It's like playing for beans here is just risking their careers abroad. Yeah, but I'm I, glad they're getting paid. <laughs> oh, they're getting paid a ton of money. It's not like, yeah, it's not it's, it's, it's not as weird as it sounds, but it's basically the sport is more of a draw for like, it's just, it's more popular over there. They can yeah. fill stadiums and they can play games in front of a lot more people. And Well, there, there was the issue with the women's soccer team that they're so much better yeah. than the U.S. men's Which team. They, they are. And yeah. have a much better... <laughs> record and all those men get paid much more money yeah. than the women's team does when they're the women's team is much more consistent at winning is, yeah. and, and also having fans having a following yeah. selling out uh selling out their games mm-hmm. uh but still 
But it's incredible how women like Billie Jean King, in a lot of ways, probably kind of like broke down that barrier for proving like here, yes, our athletes are not only just as talented, but the sport itself and the athletes themselves can become this brand, even though she did lose a lot in coming out. Um, Yeah, I mean, now you've got women like Serena Williams, who I can't even imagine what sort of galactic figure she makes for endorsements alone. Oh, yeah. In in addition to... But who also gets continuously disrespected and disrespected and disrespected. Yeah, yeah. It's relentless. in yeah. the media by everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. John McEnroe this year said that ugh. that she couldn't beat a man and, and brought, o- brought up that whole thing again about he did. hitting. I forgot. He said it in the dumbest context, too. But I, th- I think it was like, I think it might have been the speed of the serve or something that he was bringing up. I think he, he said it during like a, I think he was maybe calling a tennis match or something or, or maybe someone asked him. I don't know. Mm. Someone asked John McEnroe a question that you know he's going to give a sexist, stupid answer to. Yeah. Ugh, I don't know. But I will say, in, on the subject of tennis, before we get into the real topic, I, I every once in a while I say something nice about a straight cisgender man, and today is the day. How generous. Uh, Andy Murray is a Scottish professional tennis player. Yes. I'm pretty sure he's Scottish. I have thought he's from England this whole time, but... I'm pretty sure he's Scottish, Yeah, Yeah, he, he's kind of like, he's getting into the whole... Like moving into almost like the outspoken feminism in his in the way he talks about specifically about the Williams sisters, and uh, I saw a really cool clip where he corrects a journalist during um, a journalist is asking him a question: How does it feel to be the first uh, the first tennis player? And they name some some milestone that he achieved, and he goes first male, and mm. they were like, "What?" He goes, "I'm the first male to do it," referencing. I believe it was Venus Williams having already done that thing that he did. Mm. And he's also been an advocate for equal pay in tennis for men and women, too. So that's it. I'm done for the month. No more nice (laughs) things about men. (laughs) But Andy Murray's cool, and now I root for him, so whatever. Nice. Yeah. I I thought you were going to talk about uh, Federer's arms. Or no, 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 no. no. Uh, Nadal. Nadal's one with the nice arms. Oh, he has great arms. They all do. And that's my one nice thing to say (laughs) about his history. You have good arms. Your limbs are nice. Your, your arms on. are pretty. That's it. Lift, yeah. lift something heavy for me yeah. and then get out of and my go. way. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com realm. 
all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. I love it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have anything nice to say. That's okay. <laughs> It's not a requirement for this podcast. It's definitely not a requirement. We we usually discourage it, but yeah. uh, we we do have some uh, male listeners that that we want to keep because the more audience we have, uh, the better chance we have of eventually getting sponsors. Yes. So uh, help us make money, men, mm-hmm. and lift things. Yeah. Those are the two things we, we don't want to ruin our possibility of Axe Body Spray sponsoring this. <laughs> I would love that's that. That's a lot of money. <laughs> that's a lot of smelly money. Would you guys do those ads, like on if 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 you had to like read Axe Body Spray ads? Oh, I for, depending on the kind of money they were offering us, I would. Oh, I'd have to. Yeah, I have no choice. I don't want to bartend forever. <laughs> I'd, I, I'd rather have me reading an Axe Body Spray ad than some douche bro. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, why should they get all all the money? I bet there. I bet there are. Can you imagine what a copywriting meeting looks like? Like a like. The people who are actually coming up with like the packaging or the ads for Axe body spray, like it's just regular body spray. But like, well, the, I don't know. The package has to look like an actual gun. Like it needs to look like men won't buy it if it doesn't look like a bomb. I mean, to be real, I think that they really should probably if they were smart, they would try to corner a lesbian market. I was oh, going to yeah. say, I, I can imagine that there there are lesbians that use Axe body spray. I mean, there there are a lot of uh, yeah. women in general who who wear men's cologne yeah uh but i i feel like those those must well, men's be... hygiene products in general tend to work better I use, and they're I, cheaper yeah they are they <laughs> are fucking cheaper and they work better it's not fair yeah and then you get to smell like the woods mm-hmm. which, which attracts lesbians <laughs> which attracts the ladies <laughs> coming to the woods yeah. um Jess has been chiming in. <laughs> Jess has been chiming in uh, on the topics, but I want to give them a more thorough introduction and mention one of the projects that they've worked on that's pretty cool. Jess, along with episode three, Diking Out guest Chewy May, created the viral video Ghost in the Shell. It's a PSA, and Jess also performs stand-up all over the city. But do you want to tell us a little bit about the the video because I, I saw it. Yeah. I think it's really cool, uh, but I think it's important to talk about. Thank you. Um, yeah, the video is called Ghost in the Shell PSA. Um, it's uh, just something that Chewy and I 
kind of dreamed up together Mm -hmm. and um, Chewy executive produced. um, And I uh, wrote the script and acted in it. And it's basically, I mean, it's about... It's sort of about the movie Ghost in the Shell and the issue of whitewashing and, like, the casting of Scarlett Johansson Mm -hmm. um, in the movie Ghost in the Shell. But it's not really about that movie. It's really about, like, this is just one example of this thing that's been happening over and over and over again. And that's, like, been taking all these different forms for the past, like, 100 years or, like, as long as, like, there have been movies, essentially. Um, And, um, yeah, since then it's been... It's been very popular and very, very, very unpopular. Um, Like, actually, funnily enough, if you go on YouTube right now, um, on Facebook, it has over a million views. On YouTube, about Um, 200,000. But the little, like, thumbs up, thumbs down bar um, is about 2,000 thumbs up to 6,000 thumbs down. What? Yes, because it actually (sighs) went so viral that, uh, that, like, famous assholes found it. Um, and came for us. Like, actually, do you guys know The Amazing Atheist? No. Um, it doesn't matter. He's not anybody that anyone needs to know. He's not but, really amazing. Um, <laughs> he's he's a guy who sounds who is exactly like what that name sounds yeah. like. And that he's like this big, gross, probably smelly guy who like sits in a like swivel chair and yeah. like makes videos about other people's content basically Mm -hmm. and like doesn't make any of his own content and he you know he had this like anti-SJW response but he has like a million followers so from that so then they yeah it like really spiraled off um and so actually um it's interesting how in some ways it really looks like that video what had more of a negative response than a positive response Mm -hmm. which I don't I don't think is true I mean, maybe this is just me being an optimist, but I don't think that's true in the hearts of the people. But <laughs> I do think that, like, a lot more people were willing to come through and press thumbs down. Yeah. Um, oh, they always yeah. are. Right, on that video. And there's a lot of videos like that by people who have large followings they, of just racist, misogynistic people. And it's because they, they don't know how to make themselves uh, feel better when they're not knocking out knocking down someone else. They right. have to tear someone down. To mm-hmm. feel good about themselves because they don't have their own uh, accomplishments or they're not right. secure enough with who they are as a person that it's a lot easier to crap on other people. And that's one well, of especially the- in like in like the comedy and like video realm. It's like people who have achieved, have maybe tried and not achieved any sort of success mm-hmm. creatively. Their other avenue, like, that's kind of how the troll is born. It's like right. the, well, this specific kind of troll. Trolls are, I mean, they're everywhere yeah. and they're just in the basements, you know, and wherever. But um, the ones who have tried to be funny or try to create their own content and then eventually morph into that just, like, that sort of hatred-fueled thing, I think is an interesting, like, mm-hmm. facet of trolldom in a lot of ways. But Yeah, it's, um, I mean, that... That sucks about it, but mm-hmm. um, in other, I mean, for the most part, uh, I think for both of us, it's been an overwhelmingly yeah, positive I mean, a, a thing for views us to on have. Facebook. That's amazing. Um, it's going to a film festival uh, in London, actually. Oh, um, awesome. In like oh November, which is cool. I mean, I can't. I don't think any of us can go um, mm-hmm. and see it, unfortunately. But that's really, really cool that it's happening. It's some. I. It's. Uh, I think a women in film festival um, that's happening in the UK. Um, and um, something that's really cool about that and. This is sort of more relevant to what we're talking about today is that um, 
it is the video has a queer narrative to it Mm -hmm. that we didn't really we weren't like okay we're gonna make this like queer Mm -hmm. video about whitewashing it's just chewy's queer i'm queer um and so it just is a queer narrative um Mm -hmm. in that like uh if you haven't seen the video it um the narrative follows a, a child that appears to be a little girl mm-hmm. um, going through a comic book shop. Um, and she and there's all these – she's a little Asian girl. Um, and in the comic book shop, there are a few uh, white girls in there and they're looking at comics and they're looking at, you know, Batman, Wonder Woman, Supergirl, like all of these like really, really cool superheroes that exist um, that reflect – in whatever, I mean, you know, obviously there's a lot to be said here about, like, the male gaze and, mm-hmm. like, the way that sure. men draw women and the way that men conceive of women. However, like, the idea that there's a lot of representation out there um, for white women. Um, yeah. And the Asian kid is looking around and she can't find anything. And then so eventually what happens is she finds Ghost in the Shell, the comic, and she's like, oh, I identify with this. I'm going to get mm-hmm. this. And then flash forward in time, she's grown up and the grown up is me. Um and, you know, in the narrative of the, of the video, I see the poster for the movie Ghost in the Shell, and I, like, mm-hmm. revert back to the, the child. Um, but, um, you know, we were just like, okay, well, we're going to use me because I'm an actor, mm-hmm. and I'll and do it. And you have model face. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. <laughs> um, and I can look real sad <laughs> on, yeah. on No, it, it was um, very emotionally powerful. Thank mm-hmm. you. Um, thank you. You, and, you did a great uh, job. We had a really, really good team. We had um, Christine Shaw was the DP um, and the editor and the director of it. We had uh, Jen Kwok did an original score for us. We had um, Sue Ann Lurang, who was a costume designer, um, who's my boo also. But um, ah. So she's amazing. Um, but um, So we had a really, really good team uh, of people. But so what, uh, what ended up manifesting that – I know that I, as one of the creators, wasn't intentionally thinking of is that it is a queer story and mm-hmm. that the story that implicitly is being told is here's this little girl. She's looking for a role model. She finds a role model in Ghost in the Shell in the character uh, uh, Makoto, um, who's like, you know, an ass kicking cyborg lady. Mm-hmm. Um and then she grows up and she's this queer person mm-hmm. or they're this queer person or whatever. Um and for me, um, something that was really cool about how popular the video became was that it was very um, – I got was getting all this feedback that it was very relatable to people. Like no matter who they were, I got a lot of feedback from um, a lot of folks and particularly Asian-American folks. And for – you know, there were people who are like, you know – non-binary trans people or whatever like me who were like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I really love that video. But much, much more than that, it was cis women and cis men Mm -hmm. who were like, I love that video. I saw it. I identified with it. I felt it. And I was like, see, you can show people a queer narrative and people will still identify with it and not be like, oh, it's like trans and I don't understand what it is. It actually, you know, and it's not about being queer. Not really. Yeah. No, I mean, the, these are all relatable stories, and it's a thing where sometimes I think that maybe I'm, I'm not that relatable on stage or performing, or even with this podcast, I'm like, oh, we can only have uh, LGBT mm-hmm. listeners, but mm-hmm. I'm like, no, because I relate to straight people all the mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. and my whole life I've been listening to stories of straight people and people that I do not identify with, mm-hmm. but I can still... Um, 
you know, have empathy for them and I can still feel for them. I can still root for them and mm-hmm. I can still root against them. And I I think that uh, that Hollywood especially um, has had that mentality, though, that uh, it can't be flipped the other way when right. it can. When straight people can watch a queer story mm-hmm. or a queer character or you know, someone who who identifies in a different way and very much relate to them yeah. and and want to be exposed to that and want to, to learn more. And I feel like we're kind of just at the beginning of mainstream, I guess, primarily mainstream comedy being so, you know, like shows like Master of None that literally just proved mm-hmm. that you can write this story and you can tell this story that's a very it's a it's specific but it's and it's relatable to a specific group of people but obviously in the broader spectrum so many people enjoyed it and like could see some something of themselves i mean i think anyone mm-hmm. who's ever brought home a new boyfriend or girlfriend or whoever and had that family dynamic um could relate to that story as well but that's awesome i love it. i i have not seen the video but i need to watch it for sure it's it's just two minutes, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good investment of your time. Yeah. So, Jess, you mentioned that you identify as non-binary trans. For any of our listeners who don't know, can you absolutely define what that means? Um, essentially, uh, what I would say that that means, and probably a lot of people will just give you their own specific answer. Um, but for mm-hmm. me, basically what I mean when I say I'm non-binary trans means uh, I identify as transgender, but not as a man or a woman. Mm-hmm. So um, not, you know, transgender, but transgender in a different way from how Caitlyn Jenner is yep. mm-hmm. or from uh, Laith Ashley um, mm-hmm. or you know, whoever, somebody who I, who identifies as trans and as a man or as a woman. Mm-hmm. So in in the past, or at least for, for me, before I had learned about the term uh, non-binary transgender, uh, I heard a lot of people uh, identify, and one of my ex identifies as genderqueer. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that the same thing? I mean, it's... Uh, it's I, I know it's all nuanced and it means different things mm-hmm. to... It can mean a different thing to different people. But I know that they identify as genderqueer. But from what I can tell, it's kind of the same deal as non-binary trans. Yeah, I kind of think it's just one of those things that uh, comes up a lot um, just when it comes to, like, talking about queer people or talking about... Uh, LGBTQ people is just that language kind of fails us yep, mm-hmm. um, and that everything like every term is just sort of like an approximation yep. mm-hmm. for like what something like quote unquote is. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it could be that a person who is genderqueer like actually identifies as something like very, very similar to me Mm -hmm. Um, or they also identify as non-binary or they also identify as trans um, Mm -hmm. or something like that. Like I myself, for me, um, it's just an issue of language and just like of me being intentional with the language that I use to describe my identity, by which I mean I myself, um, I used to identify as genderqueer. Um, I don't Mm. anymore these days. I just don't use that word because I find that sometimes um, people use the term genderqueer to, like, differentiate from trans. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I guess that could be used sometimes to identify someone who's just more androgynous. Right. Or like it's like it's almost to me, I don't think that this is what the term gender genderqueer necessarily means. But I think that sometimes people use it to mean like less trans, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. or like not like not really trans or something like yeah. that or like lower level trans or something like that. And I actually think like the way that I prefer to operate as far as language goes is that like trans is an umbrella term. That's mm-hmm. going to mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Yeah. Um, and it's going to mean different body things for different people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to mean different identity things for different people. And within that, there might be non-binary. There might be genderqueer. There might be man. There might mm-hmm. be woman. Yeah. Like, I know people who identify as, like, non-binary trans women or non-binary trans men. And, like, I think that's, you know, that's real and that's legit, too. Not that I'm any kind of authority. But I'm like, yeah, that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Yeah, which is just to say that I these days don't use genderqueer just because I don't want other people to misunderstand mm-hmm. what I mean. Mm-hmm. And not because I think that there's anything necessarily like wrong with that term. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, how how people want to identify and it it's become this crazy thing. Um, I mean, it's, it's expected in, in American society, uh, especially that people have problems with things that are none of their business and mm-hmm. don't affect them. <laughs> that's, and, the, that's the real American pastime. Yes. Uh, <laughs> problems. <laughs> doesn't Having, make Sometimes life, creating problems. Yeah, cre- <laughs> actively creating problems yeah. uh, for people who do not make their life any worse. Right. Uh, and it... It is this crazy thing, and I—I oh, I wish I remembered the name. There was this. There's this British radio personality. I don't know if any of you have seen this clip and this uh, guy called, and he—he just—he's so calm the way he talks. And this angry conservative person was mad that this store in the UK was going to have clothing uh, for for kids that mm. wasn't gendered, mm-hmm. and this guy was so mad about it. And the host was like, how does this affect you? Right. How does this hurt you? How does it hurt the boy? That's the most impossible question for these people to answer, too. How does it hurt a boy looking for boy clothing? Because Mm -hmm. that boy can still get clothing. How does it hurt a girl who wants to get, quote, unquote, girl clothing? And what it does do is it makes everything more inclusive for the people who don't fit these boxes and these constructs. And so they can feel good and not out of place too. So it doesn't hurt anybody. It's just, like who who cares? Except like it's so... except people who call into radio shows. <laughs> yeah, who call into radio it hurts shows. Them fairly. Yeah, and and yeah, who aren't it's... comfortable with things that that aren't this black and white way of looking at the world when the world is obviously uh, a a gray area. Yeah, I I find that. Gender conformity and the gender roles that we're pushing on children is the most disturbing thing because they, first of all, they can't, they they cannot make their own decisions and they just, they know what they're shown and they know what they hear and everything. Mm-hmm. And I just think that there is nothing more arbitrary and more pointless than forcing gender stereotypes on infants and babies and toddlers and kids. And it's like... I and, just don't get it. Like, gender reveal parties, I think, oh, are the mm-hmm. most bizarre. Ugh. Straight people in whatever <laughs> newsletter they get have gotten out of control with these things. And maybe it's because I'm from the Midwest, so I 
a lot of people that I know from high school and from mm-hmm. college. I'm I'm obviously in, you know connected yeah. with on social media, and some of them are probably listening who have had a gender reveal party. You guys know who you are, and you know that I love <laughs> you personally. But I do find this concept to be really bizarre. Yeah, I mean, and clearly it doesn't stop us from becoming whoever we become right. anyway. Because no. it's like the color of that cake batter is not. Is not I mean, or the the powder in the balloon that explodes, or the stupid. It's right. It's yeah. such a bizarre. I don't know. I just I, I find that singularly to be one of the most disturbing things about gender roles and the way that we treat them is how it how early it you're starts born. when right. you're in the womb. Like I just don't understand it. Right, and it doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, it affects us. It creates like a trauma that we have to like <laughs> grow. That we have to then just live with, I right. guess, um, for the rest of our lives. But um, but it doesn't. As every trans and gender nonconforming person proves it doesn't stop us from becoming whatever it is that we're going to become. Like, I would be mm-hmm. willing to guess that probably all of us were socialized as, like, cis girls yeah. um, oh, who yeah. are in this room. Um, and I would say that all of us are gender nonconforming in this and that mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. way in various ways. So it clearly didn't. Right. It clearly didn't it do didn't anything. Work. You know, it didn't work. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, why? It might have slowed us down. Yeah. Right. It right. certainly uh, slowed me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember... I don't know. I just I the exposure that we had to movies and media and everything where the girl you're a girl, you're a princess, you're looking for the prince, that kind of thing and the I don't know. I just I found that I even having a relatively a relatively neutral childhood as far as like my exposure and my encouragement of being the girl, you know, quote unquote girly, um mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to be allowed to like play sports and I dressed in boys clothes for most of my most of my life really I mean mm-hmm. aside from like college I guess a little bit but um yeah I just I, I see that happening now with kids and I just can't I can't help but think like this is not helping anyone even even the adults who I, all it does I think for girls and women is it makes girls even girls who grow up you know even cisgender women, even cisgender heterosexual women, all all that does for them, it just reinforces the traditional, quote unquote, gender roles. Yeah, I would say especially for them. Yeah, yeah, I think they, I think that group of women is losing the most in this mm-hmm. in this case. Mm-hmm. Yes, which brings me to uh, a story of something I saw on Facebook yesterday. Um, my friend's sister posted uh, that. She she's a mom and she's married to a man and she wants to get a cleaning person to come to the house twice a month mm. to to help clean and her husband said no and she does one of those multi level marketing things so she has mm-hmm. this extra income that she gets and she said I'll pay for it out of this thing so it's not quote unquote our money that's going towards this but I'm raising two kids I'm cooking mm-hmm. I'm a teacher during the day I do all this stuff and it would really help me out just to have someone. Mm -hmm. And I'm reading this. I'm like, the fact that all these things are expected of her on her plate, it's not like he's volunteering and saying, no, I will do the cleaning instead. It's just like, no, you, you should be able to take that on in addition to all these other roles that you've taken. And one of the, one of the great things about being, I I think in a, in a queer relationship Mm -hmm. is that there isn't this expectation of these roles. I mean, not, not all relationships, Mm -hmm. um, you know, 
I I have seen before where maybe more um, butch lesbians yeah. will take on some more masculine characteristics and some of the negative ones mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, just wanting uh, – but 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 not not as bad. But, right, but, but right. I, I have seen it before. But, um, you know, it's – it's there's no assumption of you do the laundry, you do the dishes, you do the yeah. cooking. Mm-hmm. It is interesting when you look at relationships that have removed the – the the sort of polarized gender norm situation because then you just become two partners or two just people in this relationship, which should be what it is anyway. Mm-hmm. But, you know, kind of going back to how cisgender heterosexual women lose when it comes when when we talk about gender roles is that we're just told our whole lives that this mm-hmm. is what we're supposed to do and that it just doesn't help anyone. We I feel like we're the lucky ones and that we've we're not subject to that kind of thing anymore um, mm-hmm. through our, through our, through our own ways. But yeah, it just it really breaks my heart, and it and it's it's such a bummer to see people that you are friends with or that you love in these relationships that are so clearly defined by solely by their gender, mm-hmm. and you know mostly because it's always women that end up with more responsibility when when it comes down to that. I can't imagine. I, that's like one of the many, and you know, it's one of those like. I think about every single day about how lucky I am to be gay and not have to deal with men. And that's I'm like, I just I don't have to deal with that mm-hmm. expectation from my partner, or my person, yes. because that's just by default not existing with us. So, yeah, I, I, I used to cringe when people would use the term partner because mm-hmm. I always thought partner. Well, one, it just reinforced that uh, that it's like a different kind mm-hmm. of relationship that you know straight people get to have boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever, but then we have partners because yeah. we're different and uh it made me think of gym class. <laughs> so I never I never liked that term but but now I appreciate it more because mm-hmm. <laughs> there is more more equality I think yeah. within the relationship and that that it works a little bit more like a proper partnership. Yeah. Yeah. Um I've grown into I I like also think that I felt that way at one time. I've grown mm-hmm. into partner because I've just as I've come into myself uh over time as a queer person and mm-hmm. into my identity. I'm like, you know, I don't think I want to have that thing that straight people have actually. Yeah. Yeah. I don't actually think that I want my relationships to look like that mm-hmm. that much. Mm-hmm. Um and maybe in the past I have, um, but now I'm like, nah, you know, that's all right. Yeah, that's okay. yeah. It's, we can we can say a different word. That's all yeah. right. Yeah, it, it's a lot of growing and, and changing because we do have these just expectations or, or what we've been exposed to mm-hmm. and what we still think is kind of the the standard that we're we're trying to mimic. And then you kind of realize, like, oh wait, what? Why have I been doing this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Just because that's the way society is, well, no, you know, do what do what feels right to you. Do you do you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, just how do men and women react differently to you not being able to put you in a more traditional box? Do you, do you notice a difference between how you're treated? Um, I will say, um, uh, masculine privilege is real. Oh yeah. Um and that's like it's a thing that I feel like people debate about specifically with um assigned female at birth queer people um 
and lesbians and et cetera, um, because I feel like the strongest argument like against the idea of masculine privilege is that we're more visible as queer people. But I kind of think that actually the way that our world works is um, – I don't know how to explain what I'm trying to say here. Um, like it is sort of like deep in everybody's like hearts the way that we've been socialized. Um, there is a such thing as masculine privilege. We yeah. do like see um, a lot of the time a person who appears masculine – or has some masculine like energy or something about them, and we're like, that's a person I'm gonna respect, like just because oh, yeah. it's like so deeply ingrained in us. And so I am, um, and I don't even, again, no one who's listening to this can see me. Um, I do present in an androgynous but masculine leaning sort of way. I'm wearing a little cap right now. Um, I um, <laughs> well, part of that because the headphones are too big. Yeah, <laughs> um, I look like I look like a boy that looks like a girl. Um, like a scrawny little weenie boy, (laughs) Um, uh, but a boy nonetheless. Um, And um, I do feel that I benefit a lot um, Mm -hmm. from being somebody who gets read as more masculine, like even Mm -hmm. if I don't like identify that way really and even if I don't have a particularly masculine like affect really or like character, like I think I feel that like the way that my behavior is, the way that I, like, move, and, like, I, I'm, like... Your swagger. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I'm a twink. <laughs> like, I think I'm, like, like not masculine, yeah. like, yeah, effeminate. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, but in this way where I still benefit from that, and so I've been thinking about that. Um, sure. And I've been thinking about that a lot also in the context of um, my current relationship, with, um, which is um, my partner right now uh, is an Asian American femme. Um, and this is actually the first time I've ever dated another Asian American person, which is a mm, whole other oh, can okay. of worms. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm learning from spending so much time with her how differently the world reacts to her uh-huh. versus mm. to me. And yes. I sort of thought that because, you know, gender is racialized and race is gendered and because like in the Western eye, Asian bodies are always made to be feminine, mm-hmm. I yeah. kind of thought – I mean, I knew I did know that I was that I was moving through the world differently from like people who are more feminine than me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't understand the gravity of it, Mm -hmm. like the magnitude of it. Like, you know, I go out with her now and the way that people treat her. I'm like, I've never experienced this before. Like, I I don't know anything about this. Like, I always thought um, that I moved through the world as an Asian woman because, you know, people aren't going to know, like, what my identity is or whatever yeah. um, just from looking at me. But I definitely don't. Um, and I think that that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sucks. It sucks for her. It sucks for everybody else who has to get uh, harassed all the time um, yeah. and bothered and disrespected. Um, so that's, like, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is, is that I think... Like, guys kind of bro me sometimes, which I think mm-hmm. is funny because I'm, like, not a bro mm-hmm. at all. Um, and, like, most of my friends are women and femmes. Like, I don't even I don't even hang out with other, with, like, transmasculine people that much, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes cis straight guys will bro me. Yeah. <laughs> which I think is funny. And I think it's sort of this combination thing where it's, like, they... 
they think of me as like a, a like fellow mask person, but also kind of as a cute girl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's really interesting. And I don't really know like what's what's in there about that. I'd like to like I wish I could get into their heads about that. Yeah. Mm. Well, we have one uh, right outside this door. <laughs> Bring them in. No. Yeah. <laughs> I I've never. I haven't heard the term masculine privilege, and I really like that because mm-hmm. that yeah. is that that assigns a term to a thing that I greatly benefit from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, the way that I move through the world, a lot of things you said of sort of like I, I I definitely identify with this, especially I'm I'm in a relationship with a woman who is very um, conventionally attractive, feminine, mm-hmm. and the way that she has to. The way just the 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 little hoops that she has to jump mm-hmm. through to not get approached on the train or at in a store or mm-hmm. followed somewhere mm-hmm. or rubbed up against in a weird way or just just bothered by men is really it's it's interesting and it's sad and it's and it's it's hard to watch because and it's hard to listen to her stories and it's hard to get that text message of I just had to duck into a coffee shop mm-hmm. and ask the manager to call the cops because this guy won't stop following me oh, from God. store to store. That kind of thing is, you know, obviously its own thing. But in the way that I move through the world is in a way that, yeah, I mean, masculine privilege is a thing. And obviously I don't benefit from male privilege. But as a cisgender, heterosexual, androgynously presenting woman who happens to be six feet tall and broad shouldered and I weigh almost 200 pounds of like, you know, high school athlete muscle slash pizza and beer now but um i i'm not a small i've never been i've never occupied a small petite body ever and um i've always sort of had this like dominating presence physically for a lot of people um but yeah like the way that i am approached or interacted with in men is worlds different than the way that that you know cisgender women who present in a more feminine way are and it and it is a form of privilege that i need to like acknowledge more often i think and see um, what's interesting about like you and me sarah being in the room talking about this is that i am a petite person uh-huh. um i'm very small i like yeah i'm about five foot six i weigh a hundred pounds I'm very small and very, like, effeminate. But Mm -hmm. the second I – and I I literally do this. Like, when I, you know, think that I'm going to be coming home really late at night or something like this, I make sure I have a hat. Um, Mm -hmm. And the the second I put a hat on, I disappear. It's crazy. Like, Mm. it's actually crazy the way that, like, masculinity affords you um, an invisibility, Mm -hmm. um, which is a privilege. um, And people don't – bother me men just like, don't look at me right like, which is it's great <laughs> which is wild because i yeah. don't have and i'm like i'm not athletic i'm not strong if somebody wanted to fuck with me i would be very very easy to fuck with mm-hmm. but i don't get fucked with um so it, it's interesting to me that it's something that actually transcends you know being also like a big and strong person yeah yeah i mean i think i just kind of won a, i mean I, I feel like i am just genetically predisposed obviously like i feel lucky for being a large person it's the one thing that it's the thing that used to consume my mind as my biggest insecurity for mm-hmm. most of my life and now it's literally my armor like mm-hmm. it's it's what keeps me from getting approached on the street or it's what and you know and and when it's dark out at night if i have a hat on or if i have a hood on or if i'm just if i'm just walking like i i 
I get just men just pass right by me. They don't even look at me. They just think I'm another man because I'm a tall, I'm a six foot tall figure walking towards them. I'm not a sexualized in any way for them kind of person. It's 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 very very rare that a man will make a comment to me. Um, mm-hmm. I do have like D boobs, so that's that sort of like every once in a while someone will say something, but. Yeah, for the most part, I just I I have the privilege of sort of gliding past men without them even even noticing me, which is amazing. Yeah, it is kind of it's it's incredible to think of how you know how gender affects how gender affects like our literal feeling of safety when we go out mm-hmm, somewhere mm-hmm, and just absolutely. being in this world. It has so much to do with that, and how much you know men are just for the most part, pretty oblivious to that because their default setting is I'm safe right. wherever I go. The worst oh, thing yeah. that the worst thing that could happen to them generally is being robbed. Whereas the worst things that could happen to a woman are like infinite, obviously. Um Yeah. So I, yeah, it's it's and it's so it's interesting to talk to other women who who kind of share that bit of masculine privilege that I have. Um and just and kind of the different ways that this world treats us a little bit differently. I mean, I get called sir. I would say once a, a couple times a week, I'm I'm called sir, which is fine by me. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to bother me. I remember when I first moved here, it really well. And when I when I when it first started happening, it really bothered me. But then I was like, this is kind of awesome. <laughs> it's kind of nice. Like I don't I don't mind it. Like it's not it's it's a it's just a word. And it but it was something that when I was sort of exploring my sexuality and like my my coming out process and everything it, it did bother me but i i love it now so it's better than when know. i lived in the south and everyone called me ma'am oh Ugh. yeah <laughs> ma'am is the worst i got mammed the other day and i was oh. like why yeah. <laughs> like, me no <laughs> why and i was i mean i wrote a tweet about this but oh, i God. i was less upset about the overall misgendering mm-hmm. than I was about the fact that this p- person couldn't see that I'm clearly like a sweetie or like a honey or right. a doll. I was like, come on, like I'm like I'm not a ma'am. Yeah, yeah. ma'am is like for I'm younger than that. Older women. Yeah, I don't know. I just... Yeah, I think I looked angry enough to be a ma'am. <laughs> so I was looked angry. There she is. They were like, do, do you it's want me to get the anger. manager? Yeah, <laughs> they're coming. All That's right. great. Ma'am, calm down. Yeah. Ma'am, please. Are you saying that because I'm a white woman, but obviously I'm asking for the manager? Yeah. Hi, I'm here to ruin someone's day who makes minimum wage. Uh, yeah. For the record, I'm not that kind of white woman. But... Hashtag not all white women. Oh, gosh. I know. Hashtag but most. Uh, I should just take it. I, okay. I need to absorb absorb the punishment mm-hmm. for my kind. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. We we ran out of time, uh, <laughs> which sucks because I <laughs> we're getting better with time keep, management on this show. Yeah, we're we're trying. Uh, so we we end our episodes with throwing out a, a question, and this week was hashtag Bisexual Awareness Week, mm-hmm. which I only knew because I saw the hashtag popping up. That's good. That means it's working. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hashtags I think are helping out bisexual awareness yeah. week because. Uh, I don't know if I was supposed to be aware that it's Bisexual Awareness Week or more aware of bisexuals, but either way, both happen. Right. <laughs> um, so the question I want to ask to both of you is who is uh, a bisexual that you want people to be more aware of? Hmm. And I will start with Whitney Houston. Yep. Cool. Who, who I think I've brought up every episode of this podcast. <laughs> 
And I finally got around to watching the documentary on Showtime, Whitney, Can I Be Me? And it is heartbreaking. It ripped my heart out of my chest. I'm still not over it. Uh, It really set me back in the grieving process for Whitney Houston. Mm -hmm. And uh, because it focuses on her relationship with Robin, her her assistant, and who uh, we now know, at least based on Bobby Brown and his autobiography, was also Whitney's lover mm-hmm. at one point. So he was the first person to come out and say mm-hmm. and confirm that Whitney was bisexual. Uh, and it was... I didn't I didn't realize because I was young at the time when when Whitney was coming up that there were a lot of rumors about her being gay because she wasn't out with men and that she was always hanging around uh, a woman who presented as a as a butch lesbian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was her best friend. That was her assistant. They they lived together for a long time. And uh, and she was always part of her life and when Robin left the uh, world tour in 1999 because her and Bobby Brown did not get along at all and uh, they say that that's when Whitney really started to spiral Mm -hmm. um, down and and kind of never recovered after that point and had a difficult 12 I think it was 12 years um, that that Robin wasn't in her life and Robin was kind of this rock for her but uh, I'd never seen any video footage, really, of Robin before. And when you watch this documentary, the way that Robin looks at Whitney mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. heartbreaking. Like, she is so in love with her and respects her and yeah. supports her and all of her uh, her existence is just, yeah. like, you it's know, like person. shining this love on to, to Whitney and and Whitney is so loyal to her in return and, and appreciates it. But then when Bobby Brown gets into the picture and then you see the way that Bobby treats Whitney and he's very possessive and he mm-hmm. always has to be having like his arms around her and claiming and being in her space and competing with her for attention when the cameras are on. Bobby has to be louder. Bobby has to speak for the both of them mm-hmm. um, where where Robin kind of steps, steps back and lets Whitney shine, be Whitney. Yeah. Um, so it's very heartbreaking and, uh, you know, some people speculate that had Whitney been allowed to, uh, have Robin in her life and, Mm -hmm. and have that, uh, relationship be accepted by both her religious family in this world that was trying to make her this, um, acceptable black pop star, um, so that she could sell records. Um, it's just really terrible and a sad way to live uh, for somebody who was so strong and talented and powerful and just very genuinely a a kind and a good person. Yeah. Um, That was very long, but I have a lot of feelings about Whitney Houston. And I do recommend, if you haven't seen it yet, Whitney, Can I Be Me on Mm -hmm. Showtime. Jess, what bisexual do you want us to be aware of? Um, Does Margaret Cho identify as bisexual? I think... Think I don't know. She might identify as just queer. I'm not sure, actually. I well, at one point she might have been. Yeah. But sometimes I have to go back on the Wikipedia articles on Margaret Cho because uh, I remember seeing her her live, and she had a joke about wanting to go down on Beyonce until she got lockjaw. Uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> don't we all? I was gonna say, who doesn't? It's, it's not, very relatable that's, that's for everybody. Just a, that's just a I thing think that we all think. Everyone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's just. I think weird. I know a lot of straight women who would also be like, "Oh yeah, I would." You know, we all need <laughs> food, water, air, and to go down on Beyonce to <laughs> <Yeah>. a lockjaw. <laughs> that um, old saying. <laughs> but, but, 
But I think that that's a fair one to bring up. Margaret Cho mm-hmm. uh, was always kind of outspoken about not being straight. Right, mm-hmm. right, in in various iterations. Um, yeah. I think, I mean, uh, you know, without without putting on Margaret an identity that I don't necessarily know mm-hmm. that she holds, I, I still think that she's the... Uh, that's my girl. Yeah. Um, what, I mean, she's my girl no matter what. She's my girl no matter how she identifies. But mm-hmm. um, I think that she she might be a, a good person to um, to bring up this bisexual awareness week. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Because even even when she's been married to a man, she doesn't hide that part of herself that. Uh, that is attracted mm-hmm. to women and finds women yeah. attractive. I, I think when I saw her on tour, she she might have been married to a man at the time. But I honestly had to go Wikipedia her after seeing her because I was very confused because on stage, I actually thought that she was uh, a lesbian. Yeah. And I'm like, what? She's married to a man. I thought Margaret Cho was, was a lesbian, but that's kind of, you know, she's not trying to fit into yeah. uh, any one box or just because of who she's with at the time will not let that uh, rule what her identity is. Just Um, like Bill de Blasio's wife. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a good segue because mine is Bill de Blasio's wife. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think I've brought up Sarah Ramirez on this podcast before. Yeah, yeah. I really, really, I just love her so much. She was the the first time I ever truly realized okay, this attraction thing to a woman is a thing, as far as, like, seeing someone on, on a screen, was watching her in Grey's Anatomy. Mm-hmm. And I and I was so self-congratulatory years later when she came out as bikes. I was like, I knew it! Like, I knew there was some... I don't know. Like, I just felt like I... I just knew something about her that everyone else didn't know. Yeah. I, it, it, that's such a silly... I was, like, 19, and she was the hot doctor on TV that I just was obsessed with. But, um, yeah, and... and you know, for all of her work and LGBT rights and things like that. And um, I don't know much about her theater and her singing career, but I know that that's like a huge part of her career these days. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, I just think everyone should be a big fan of Sarah Ramirez. She's awesome. She's awesome. Cool. And now we're all more aware. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Jess, thank you so much for joining us today. Do you have any upcoming shows or anything that you want to plug or your social media handles? Yeah, what... uh what date will it be relevant for me to start? So we, we about release things? Monday night typically. Okay. Um, I'm going to be on the October edition of Asian AF um, nice. at UCB. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. Which is going to be pretty cool. It's October 16th. Um, and I don't know, they haven't released uh, the full lineup yet at this point. Um, so I'm excited to see who's going to be there. But I know that they've had, uh, I think they had Ronnie Chang from. The Daily Show last mm-hmm. month, um, and they had like Hudson Yang, the kid from Fresh Off the Boat. Mm-hmm. All like, right, so they they've been having like a lot of really cool people on those shows. Um, nice. In addition to, of course, like a uh, bunch of like really cool Asian and queer Asian um, comics that we all know and love. You're hoping it's going to be Margaret Cho. <laughs> I I just you know I haven't maybe you telling that story made me so jealous because I haven't seen her live and I uh, haven't gotten to meet her and I'm like okay well like. Obviously, we're all in this industry. Like, I'm a weird gay Asian from San Francisco. She's a weird gay Asian from San Francisco. Like, we're going to cross paths eventually. And we will. And, like, I know people who know her, obviously. But it hasn't happened for us yet. And I'm like, Margaret, if you're listening, (laughs) (laughs) um, please respond to my tweets. But, but yeah, that's uh, so I'll be at Asian AF uh, on October 16th. Awesome. 
Where can we find you on Twitter? Yeah, um, if you want to follow me on the old internet, uh, I am on Twitter at Jess Tom, that's J-E-S-T-O-M, and on Instagram at Jess the Kid, that's J-E-S the Kid. Um, <laughs> and yeah, hope to see you on the internet soon. Great. That's great. And you can follow us on Diking Out, uh, Diking Out handles everywhere, Instagram, so uh, Tumblr, Twitter. I mean, Tumblr, I think, is just like one one or two Instagram posts that I linked to Tumblr. Uh, <laughs> Facebook slash Diking Out. Um, subscribe on iTunes. Download. Listen. Rate leave us. Leave a review. Leave a review. And then if you want to follow me, uh, I'm at TGI Carolyn on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Yep. And Sarah? I am on uh, Instagram and Twitter at the Sarah York. That's the Sarah with an H, York. And that's our show. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for listening. We hope you come back and dike out with us next week. Yeah. But for for now, uh, bye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.